0: Take your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, I'm going to get to preach uh, consistently for uh, some time and I, I have a series on my heart. Um, I, uh, I, through the, the Going through the course of all of our treatments with Logan and stuff, I had a lot of time to think and process and I just the Lord laid this on my heart. I said, when the beginning of the year starts, I want to I want to dive into this. I want, and let me just tell you, I know that we do a lot of messages on how to pray and how to have your uh, life with marriage and family and just all these different aspects of the Christian life. And 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 that's all great. It's all biblical. It all should be there. I'm I'm kind of going deeper than that. Uh, kind of hitting kind of some base issues that should be. In our lives. And I've titled this series that I'm going to be doing called Revive. Um, it's, it's a focus on our spiritual condition. Um, have you ever been in a situation and you just think that something's off? You know, and just, it's, it's not what it should be. It's not, it's not, you, you, you read in the Bible what the Christian life should be and that the working of the Spirit of God, and then, then you examine the life around us and you're saying, wait, wait a minute, it doesn't, that doesn't add up with this. It's, it's something's off. Something's missing. Something's just not the same. We, we use a popular phrase all the time, and I challenge you to, to evaluate. When we say, we need God. And I mean, everybody would say, amen, we need God. But what does that mean? I mean, what, what does that mean? I mean, we just, God's here. I mean, God's everywhere. God doesn't God doesn't just stay in a location. It's not, it's not that he just shows up on Sunday. So the idea of saying we need God, we, we need God in America, we need God in our families, we need God in church services, what does that mean? What, 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 do we, what do we need? What is the active part of God in our lives? So if you take it and you fully understand for us that are saved that when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's God the Father, there's, there's Jesus Christ, and then there's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what comes inside of your life, regenerates, makes you alive, breathes life into that which is dead, and, and, and man becomes saved because of the working of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God gave us that. After Jesus ascended into heaven, he was talking in Acts, or in um, and Acts at the beginning of it, and he said, You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. And he's talking about the work of God. But he said, I'm gonna I'm gonna indwell you with power. I'm gonna I'm gonna do something actively in your life where the, the, the Spirit of God is not just God up in heaven or Jesus walking the earth, but it be the active role of the Spirit of God inside of our lives. You're saved, you have the Spirit of God. But what does that mean? We need God, okay? We need God. God is actively working through conviction. How do you know what is right and wrong? The Spirit of God illuminates, convicts, changes, convinces our hearts. It's the Spirit of God that reaches into the heart of man, speaks to the brain, speaks to the heart, and says that's not right. That's that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God leads you say, man, I don't, I don't want to be lost. I don't know what to do with this. The Bible talks about it being our, God, our guide in our life. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to navigate through a situation or brokenness or a problem or whatever. And God says, I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll be your guide. The Holy Spirit is our guide through life as we go through things. The Holy Spirit is power. It does what man cannot do. The Holy Spirit has the ability to change the atmosphere Bring peace to a situation. Bring awareness. Awaken a church. Spirit of God is a move of God. It's when God's actively working through something. He 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 does what only God can do. When we say we need God, we're, we're literally saying God. We need you to convict. God, we need you. God to to lead. We need you God, to speak to us. We need you to illuminate Scripture. We need you to change the atmosphere. We we need you to. To do what men cannot do in of themselves. To break down the walls. To bring down bondage. To push back the works of darkness. Do we have it? I'll ask you to do a spiritual self-evaluation just in your heart and mind. Could you say that you are experiencing God working in your life? Could, could you say... Right now, let me let me testify to how God is working in my life. Let me testify how God is actively changing me or working me or showing me things or whatever. Could could you say that you're experiencing personal revival? Could we say, even as a church or as a people or as a family, Man, I'm experiencing the work of God where we're pushing back the darkness. Because the Bible talks about Satan being as that roaring lion seeking who may devour. He's after you, he's after your kids. I'm gonna ask you, is he winning or is, is the Spirit of God working through you to push back? Because a lot of times in our lives we we would testify and just say, Man, I feel so defeated. I'm just I'm just saying, as a as a world or a culture around us, this is what we're I feel so defeated. I constantly feel overwhelmed with anxiety. I'm constantly facing fear. I'm constantly, there, there's struggles in my kids' life. There's struggles in my young adult life, kids' lives. There's struggles in marriages. I'm talking about people that go to church, grew up in church, been to the Bible conferences, have the Word of God, have, the, have everything that we know that should be there, but all of a sudden in, in their marriages or in their life, it's stagnant, it's dead, it's not working. I'm talking about complications in life. Paul is writing to the church uh, to, to Thessalonica. He's writing to this church, and he addresses some major issues. But at the beginning of this, he begins to preach. And they're talking about end times, and they're talking about the, th- the way that ch- things are changing in their life. And you, you talk about a passage that a- applies to them and definitely applies to us, because it actually more applies to us in the application of we're living in these end times. And they asked this question because they were so consumed about end times. They said, but of the times and the season, brethren, I have no need that I write unto you. He says, guys, I, I don't know when God's coming back. He said, we could talk about the times and the seasons, but he said, but let me put it like this. He says, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. He said, you've got to understand how the world's going to be. He said, the, the Lord's going to come back as a thief in the night, meaning that God's going to come in a way that is unexpected by the world. The world's not going to be standing out there going, God's coming back any time. No, they're not going to be ready for it. It's a thief in the night. Unexpected. The lost won't be ready. He says, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that you should be overtaken as a thief. He begins to preach to the church. He said, guys, you're not in darkness. You're, you're not figuring it out. You're not wandering around in the darkness trying to figure out where to go or what to do or what's happening. He's, he's trying to wake them up. He's trying to stir up their hearts as he's doing this. And he, he's describing the situation of them. He says, but ye, brethren, are not in the darkness, that you should be overtaken as a thief. Should not be surprised. There should be nothing going on in the world right now that we're sitting there going, things are really bad. I wonder why. I, things are really bad. I'll tell you why. <laughs> because the world is cursed. The Bible says, in the last days, perilous times, difficult, complicated times are going to come. There's going to be a great falling away. People are going to get further from the truth. The further you get from truth, the more man does that which is right in their own eyes. You get a world that is doing that which is in their own right in their own eyes. You have nothing but trouble, trouble, trouble. Man cannot do right in their own eyes. We must be guided by the truth and guided by the word of God. We're, we're selfish, we're prideful, we're filled with lust. We do what we want. We're, we're, we do whatever satisfies us in the moments. That's what's going on. Paul's Paul's trying to shake them up as he's talking about this. He says, guys. They are in darkness. You are not. He's drawing contrast between the two situations with this. It says verse five: You are all children of the light, You're children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. It's almost like he's looking at them, seeing them drift into the darkness and kind of falling asleep and becoming apathetic and passive, and maybe even comfortable with the darkness. And he's sitting there like grabbing them out of the darkness and saying, what are you doing? Man, we, we are not of the darkness. You are saved. You have the spirit of God. You know what's happening. Wake up and do your job. Wake up and embrace what you've been given to do. Wake up and understand that you are the saints of God and the warriors of God and the light for this generation. He said, you are not of the darkness. You should be of the light. Listen how he says this. He said, therefore, let us not sleep as others do. You know what happens when you sleep? You become unaware of what's happening. You become comfortable. You sit down, you lay down, you shut your eyes, you ignore what's happening in the world behind you, and you just fall asleep. He said, Let us not sleep. He says in this passage, But let us watch and be sober. The word watch means to be aware of the situation. He said, I'm not telling you to sleep. He said, I'm telling you to do the opposite. He said, you should be consciously aware as you're watching people hurting and anxiety growing and problems facing that us that just seem like a tsunami overflowing our culture and our society today. He said, you should, you should be watchful of what's going on. Then he said, you should be sober. The word sober is the opposite of being intoxicated. It literally means don't be consumed with the affairs of this world to the point where you become oblivious to what's happening. Somebody that becomes drunken, and the Bible's going to describe that here in a minute, they, they just get knocked out. They're, they're, they're out of commission. They're no good for anything when they become drunk. For they that sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. It's just no clue. They adapt. And he says this, I imagine Paul writing to this church as he's contemplating what they're talking about in times and things are bad and man, the fact that they've adapted to the darkness and the apathy and, and, and there's no distinction and you've walked into the darkness and you're acting like everybody else and you're not, you're not acting like your children of the light. And then he says this. It's almost like he's saying, hey, saints. He says, hey, let me wake you. He's, he's like pouring his heart in verse eight and he says, but let us who are of the day be sober. He said, hey, guys, let us, let us live differently. He said, hey, guys, let us, let, let us that, that have the word of God, and you're saved. If you're saved and you know it here this morning, say amen. amen. It's you. Amen. It, 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 I, I'm talking to the saints of God that sit there and say, man, I grew up in church. Man, I, I, I have, I've read through the Bible, I've been through Bible conference, I've been through disciple, I've sang in the choir, I've taught Sunday school, I've worked in ministries. Praise God for that. But let me tell you this, you are not in darkness. You should be of the light because you know better. You know better. You know what's going on. He said, let us who are of the day, who know, who have been blessed, who have the word of God, be sober. Let us be consciously aware, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Think about what he was saying. He said, put on faith. We can sit there and say, man, I grew up in church and I've been in this church for 35, 45, 55 years, whatever. Praise God for that. You realize that everything of going to this church and growing up in church and going to a one and going to classes and going to life group is all for one reason, to build up your faith, to know and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not for us to sit there and brag about how long we've been attending a building. It's not about us bragging about what denomination we grew up being part of. He said, let me tell you, in the last days, when I'm asking Christians to do, he said, you know the faith that you talk about? He said, it's time to put it on. He said, it's time that you take what you know of the faith of God. It's time that you know the verses, you, you know right and wrong, You're not lost in the darkness. You know what's right. He said, it's time to put on the breastplate. Wrap around your heart. Wrap around your life the faith of God that you've known all these years. He Talked about wrapping around your heart, the love. Faith and love is the two things mentioned in there. We are loved by God. The Bible says, if he be for us, who can be against us? Man, the Bible talks about the love that we have, that constraineth us, to live out the life that God has given us. He talked about that at the end, for a, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. That word hope means something to us. So The fact that no matter how bad things get, God has a way of changing the circumstances. God is greater than our circumstances. God is greater. We have hope. So what is the point of all this? He's describing the call of the church To rise up, to be the church, the call of the church to rise up, to not be darkness, to be be light and be sober and awake and alert and walking by faith in these things. But then he comes down to a passage in verse 19 and he says this. He says this warning, quench not the spirit. You could put it like this, hinder not the spirit. The word quench means to extinguish. It's kind of like if you have a fire burning and you're having a campsite or whatever, the last thing you want somebody to doing is taking a cup of water and throwing it on there. You say, What are we doing? We want the fire to be hot. We want it to burn. We want the flames to get up. We want, we want to be able to cook. We want, we want the heat from it. And you sit there and say, Don't take that which is contrary to the spirit and douse it on there and quench the spirit or quench the fire of what God is doing. Quench not the spirit. The Spirit is how God works. Quench not the conviction of God. Quench not the move of God. Quench not the movement of God. Quench not the the pushing back the darkness that God has promised us He would do through the Spirit of God. There's four words in this passage. Four words. Quench not the Spirit. The Spirit explains what should be. It's what we have. God, through the Bible, from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the Bible, He says, do you not know what you have? We sit there as broken people, tripping through life, trying to keep our heads above water, and God says, do you not know what you have? We have churches closing their doors and, and sitting there saying that I don't know what we're going to do, and God says, do you not know what you have? We have couples that are contemplating divorce and, 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 and trying to survive through life, and God says, do you not know what you have? We have parents that are sitting there saying, I would do anything to reach the heart of my children or reach the heart of my teenager, or to reach the heart of my spouse. And God says, do you not know what you have? I've given you the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. It, it talks about what should be. Let, let me break this down all the way from, back from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and the Bible says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God... Was all the way at the very beginning. Before there was the indwelling of the Spirit of God in Christians today, there was the presence of the Spirit of God there. The Bible says the Spirit of God, listen to this, moved. The Spirit of God moved. The Spirit of God worked upon the face of the waters. That word, Hebrew word, is ruach. The word Spirit, Hebrew word for, there for ruach, it means the wind or a region. It's the sky, it's the air, it's a blast, it's descriptive. You think about how God was speaking. Our Heavenly Father, the maker of all, the creator of all, the Elohim at the very beginning was speaking. Let there be light, but there was an activity there. As God was speaking, the spirit of God that that God is demonstrating was going out and working and molding and moving. It was the activity of the work of God. As God was saying, let there be sky and animals and everything, the spirit of God was going out and working in a way that man could never do. It was the working of God. It's the presence of God. The Spirit of God is, is, was there as a visual, Is what he was saying. He said, it's a wind, it's a blast, it's there. You might not be able to see it, but God's saying in every situation, there is a presence there that is greater than what you can imagine. We understand this when we see a hurricane or we see a storm, and the trees begin to bend over because of the, the impact of the wind. You sit there and say that I cannot see that wind, but I can see the effects of it. I could look at that and say something powerful is pushing that around. You realize that that is what the very description of God was saying with the Ruach. It is the Spirit of God. It is the move of God. It is the action of God in our lives. It's the action of God from the very beginning. God spoke and the Spirit of God began to go out and work in that atmosphere and do something miraculous and powerful. It's what God was doing. It was the presence of God with them. Change things created things, made things alive. They knew that something was there because of the fact that something was happening. They could not physically see it. The Spirit of God is the Spirit there that was there. They couldn't see it. The Spirit of God or that wind, it's also by wind or also gives a description of breath or life. The Spirit of God gives life. You realize that we talk about the Spirit of God coming inside of our lives If I was to tell you guys about my salvation story, here is the truth. And same thing with every one of you. Before I met Jesus Christ, I was dead in my trespasses and sin. That's how the Bible describes it. We talk about, well, I need to be a better person. It's not a matter of you being a better person. You talk about the description of somebody that is lost. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. What can a dead person do to revive their heart? What can a dead person do to make themselves better? It's not a matter of being a better person. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. But the Spirit of God, the Bible talks about, is what regenerates or renews or revives or gives life. When I got saved, the Spirit of God came inside of me. And all of a sudden, for that first time, that spiritual heart began to beat. I became alive in Christ. That's why we're talking buried in the likeness of Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. That is the spiritual life. You take that all the way back to Genesis. You think about what the Spirit of God did. God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and then what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It was nothing but dirt until God breathed life. You realize that every time we talk about the breath or the ruach or the Spirit of God, we're talking about the breath or something that gives life to that which is dead. You think about that even when it comes to the Word of God. I hold in my my hands the the very words of God. I can preach them with all confidence. You say, how do you know that? This is the inspired Word of God. Now let's just stop and think about that for a minute. What does the word inspired mean? It means it's God-breathed. That is literally what God's saying. God's saying it wasn't man, it wasn't Paul, it wasn't the men in the Bible, it wasn't the apostles. They were just nothing more than a pen in the hand of God. God breathed life. And all of a sudden that life is the, became the word of God. And now we read and we worship and we talk and we preach through the words of life. That is why the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful. It is alive and powerful. That is why we can sit in a church service and you sit there and say, well, we have a preacher getting up, talking about things. As long as that preacher is preaching the word of God, something greater is happening than a man's outline. It is the ruach of God. It is the the, the life-giving power where the word of God goes out, seeks out the hearts of man, convicts the hearts of man, changes the hearts of man. That's not us. It's because it's God-breathed. God breathed life into the word of God, and the word of God breathes life into man the Spirit of God that gives life. Let's put it like this. Absence of the Spirit of God, you have death in, in, in something that's dead. Let's just make application. Go ahead and have a church service without the Spirit of God working. It's dead. We sit there and wonder why, well, we haven't seen people saved, or I don't understand why people are on their phones, or I don't understand why people fall asleep, or I don't understand why they're more worried about what time it is or what time we're getting out of here or who are we meeting after church. So I tell you, if the Spirit of God's not working in there, all it is is a room with screens and a dude preaching. There's, that's all it is. And let me tell you, in our culture today, if all we have is a bunch of buildings where people meet on Sunday morning to fulfill a spiritual duty, to be able to checklist, to be able to get in that building, get out of there so they went to church on Sunday, it is dead life, dead marriages, dead relationships, and a dead future for the church. It is not about what we do in our physical traditions. It is about the working of the Spirit of God and the working of the Word of God in that service that brings life to us. That's all that matters. That is how God works. We sit there and talk about the next generation needing God. We sit there, we need God, we need God. You know what our generation needs? They need a Word of God to be able to reach the hearts of them, to be able to change their mind, to bend their needs, to get their hearts right, to build a relationship with God. It's not about a building. It's not about coming back here. It's not about how fancy our graphics are or how, how cool our worship is or what the other things is that man puts so much emphasis on. It must be about the working of the Spirit of God because that's what brings things that are dead to life. And we can sit there in our culture today. We can sit there in our lives today. We can sit there in our churches today where we have even marriages that have grown up in church, that are falling apart. We wonder why. Take the working of the Spirit of God out. You have no life. Sit there and say, I can't communicate to my kids, and I don't know what's going on, and it just seems dead. And they talk to me, and they blow me off. They slam the door. They go the other way. You take the Spirit of God out. You have nothing. You don't have life. And here it is. God's promised us. I have come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Then why are we settling for so much dead? Why in the world would we ever be satisfied with dead services? Why would we ever be satisfied with going into a service where we're more worried about the time than we are about the working in the Spirit of God and the convicting God and the change of God? Where in the world have we gone? We've fallen asleep. We've forgotten what God has said should be there. God says should be there. The Spirit of God gives life. The Spirit of God is a force in the Greek when we get into Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, And ye shall receive power, and the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You take that and break that down, that word power, that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It literally means dunamis power. It's that Greek word that is a force. God said, literally, what's gonna come upon you? We sit there and say, We need God. What do you need? What do you really need? Not a catchphrase of, We need God. What you need is the power of God working through our lives. We need that force, that power that God has promised us. Think about this. The Bible tells us that in this world today, the Satan's walking around seeking about whom he may devour. Let me put it like this. He is walking with your kids every time they're on social media. He is, he is working on their brains. He's working on their hearts. He's pulling them away from God. He's pulling them away from truth. He is working in relationships with them. He is working in their jobs. He's doing anything that he can. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's not playing games. He's not playing church. He's not playing mom and dad. He is out to destroy the next generation. Let me just say this. He's out to destroy every generation. He's after you as much as you're after your kids. And I tell you, if there's the absence of the working of the Spirit of God, then there's the absence of the force that the Bible has talked about. The Bible says that upon this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know the power that he was talking about that the gates of hell should not prevail against it? It wasn't us. It was the Spirit of God working through us. What God talked about that he said, I'm going to send up into heaven and I'm going to establish the church and I'm going to raise up a generation. You know what he was talking about raising up? You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That is the key to the power. The Bible describes it as a force. Satan in the gates of hell is a force. What God has given us is the ability to push back the force, to push back the darkness. As anxiety sweeps in, as fear sweeps in, as disease sweeps in, as all these issues of our culture sweep in, as racism sweeps in, as division sweeps in, what are we going to do to make a difference? Sit there and post something and argue on Facebook? And sit there and post more memes and try to get your point across? It's all in vain. It brings more death. It brings more division. I'll tell you, the only thing that you're going to do, it's not that we wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not against your neighbors or your kids or your spouse. It's not about the people in this room right now that you have a beef with. It's not about the people that you're arguing with. It's about the things behind the scenes you cannot see. It is a spiritual force pushing you around. It is evil wickedness in this world the only chance that we have of rising up in these last day and age that we have is is to have the spiritual force of the power of God to push back the darkness, to push back what is bullying the church today because we don't have to be bullied. We have Jesus Christ as our Savior. Why are we being pushed around? Why are we being knocked down? Why are we allowing this to happen in our lives when God has given us the spiritual force that he promised about? This force... Dunism is power that he said about the next definition of that. He said, The Spirit of God is miraculous power, straight there in the Greek, exactly the definition that God's given us. Miraculous power. You know what miraculous means? It means to do what man cannot do. We have so many issues in our world today because there's things that you sit there and say, Well, I've tried everything that I can. Maybe there's some issues in your life you weren't meant to handle by yourself. You weren't. Addictions in our life and addictions to porn and addictions to adultery and fornication and all the other things that we have, rebellion that sweeps into the hearts of our kids and the next generation, you can't handle it. You can't deal with it. It's bigger than you. It's more powerful than you. And we sit there and say, I want to see God do something. Well, good luck. You can't do it of yourself. And talking about it and complaining about it and getting on Facebook and talking about it is not working. It's not working. But God says, I'll tell you what I can do. Through the Spirit of God, through that miraculous power, I can reach into the hearts of people and I can change their heart. I'm able to change their mind and the working of their mind that brings them to addiction. I can convict your kids when they slam the door and they go the other way. I can stay in the room. I can sit down with them. I can work in their heart. I can speak to their mind in a way that mom and dad can't. God can do miraculous things. But here's the thing, I think we've given up. I think that this has become more of a storybook than a guidebook. We sit there and talk about the stories of there, and we love the flannel graph and the stories and the Bible project and everything else that we do with our kids. God didn't give us a book full of his working to tell us about what he has been a has-been God. He is a current God. He's the same God yesterday and today and forever. Why have we given up? Why have we backed down? Why in the world are we the one when we have the force of the Spirit of God that we're retreating when we should be advancing? God says miraculous power. Let me explain that miraculous power. Let me tell you about when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he died in our sins and sin was so powerful that it, that it, that it took the life of Jesus Christ on the cross. Three days later, Jesus walked out of the cross. You know how the Bible describes that working of the power of God when he did, he did that? Romans 8, 11, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but the, if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He literally talks about the miraculous working of the power of God that he did with Jesus coming out of the grave. He turns around and says, by the way, that's the same Spirit that lives in you. It's the Spirit that lives in you, Dad. To leave your family. To push back the darkness, to push back the, the crud of this world. It lives in you. You have it. Sit there. I'm just, I'm nobody. I'm not a good leader. I'm not good at this. Why don't you stop sucking your thumb and get serious about the things that God has said. Quit making excuses for ourselves. We're not going to be any good for the next generation. If God's called us and you sit there and say, God could come back at any point. That is true. I believe that with all my heart. God could come back at any point. Do you know what that means then? Do you guys understand what that means? If God could come back at any point. It means that we are the last generation. We're the last voice. You talk about Abraham and Isaac. And you talk about all the prophets. And Paul and Silas. And Barnabas and everybody that's preached. God said there's going to be one generation that will be the last generation. I'm going to use them as the last voice. I'm going to use them as the last proclamation of truth. Could it be that God's allowing us. To be the last ones in the last two-minute warning to stand up and do the work of God for a generation that will have no hope after the rapture happens. The Bible describes the giving of the Spirit of God. It's in Acts chapter 2 after he said, Acts chapter 1, the power of God would come upon you. In Acts chapter 2, they were in the upper room and they experienced it. And it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. Do you know, does that sound familiar? That's the Ruach that he was talking about. God was literally saying, by the way, hey, the, the, the description that he was laying out, that Ruach is the, the Spirit of God, the moving of the Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God that worked upon the face of the waters. It's the same Spirit of God that I described as he's talking about, that God formed the world and created and gave life. It was the Ruach. He was giving a description Sometimes in Acts chapter 2, we miss out on what he was saying. He's like literally saying, what's happening? Something powerful is in this room. It's the Ruach. It's the Spirit of God. And it filled the house where they were sitting. It showed up. There was a presence there. If you were to ask the disciples, what was that like? They'd probably be like, guys, I can't explain it. All I know is the Spirit of God showed up, and man, we knew something was different. Let me ask you, church, do you crave the experience when God shows up? When God pours out his spirit and God begins to work and move and change and direct and give life in a way that man cannot, but God can. When God does it, man's not doing it, but when God does it, they said, man, the atmosphere changed. The environment changed. And it says, and they appeared unto them like cloven, like as fire. It's a simile, it's a comparison. The Bible says that they were describing, they said it was like a fire. You know what a fire is? A fire is a powerful present that changes the atmosphere. A fire is something that illuminates. A fire is something that draws. In the world, do you know how often we're describing? Don't be of the darkness, don't be of the darkness, be of the day, be of the day, don't be of the darkness. And God says, Let me tell you, let the light shine in the darkness. Invade the darkness with the Spirit of God, where it illuminates and it changes and it draws. If I was to start a fire in the middle of the cold and the darkness, I promise you, everybody that was around there would be drawn to that, saying, man, this is real. You don't have to sit there and convince people that there's power there. They're going to know it because they experience it for themselves. Let God show up, and I promise you, we don't have to sit there and convince our kids that there's a great God. They'll experience it through revival and through change and through conviction. the Bible says, and it sat upon each one of them. It was personal. They were all filled with the holy ghost and they began to speak with other tongues And the Spirit of God gave them utterance. God gave them a gift. And all of a sudden, other generations and other people and other nationalities began to hear the word of God. You say, what was that? That was the miraculous power. It was something that they could not do of themselves. Miraculous literally means that they step back in awe saying, wow, God is doing something here that we don't normally see. Wouldn't it be great to be able to see God do something in our generation, in our church, that we don't normally see that it's not manufactured by mom and dad, it's not manufactured by the pastor, it's not because we have a cool graphic or a cool worship team, but because God showed up and did it. Miraculous power literally means to make you stand in awe, to make you stand in wonder, for, the, for people to walk out of the service or just walk out of that time or that life group and be able to say, man, I don't know what just happened in there, but God showed up. There was a power, there was a presence, there was a change, there was something that happened. The Bible says in verse 3, it says it was like as fire. The Bible talks about how God is a consuming fire. Man, when the consuming fire of God shows up in Elijah and God, they prayed down fire from God... And all of a sudden, God consumed that area. The prophets and the lost and everybody standing around stood up and they declared, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It wasn't Elijah standing there trying to convince them. It was the working, the ruach, the power, the presence, the fire of God that showed up. It was different. It was an obvious difference. It was an undeniable difference. It was something that came and changed the world brings peace it brings change just being honest right now are we missing something could we honestly say that we are missing something are we experiencing the life-giving power that god has promised us are we experiencing that force to push back the darkness are we experiencing conviction Are we experiencing the leading of God? And let me just say, and and I I know we get on our soapboxes and we say this, and we say the Spirit of God, when it's active, it leads and it guides and it illuminates and it instructs and it helps us to understand. And yet we live in a culture, even in church, where our kids are questioning their sexual identity. You say, what is that? There is a darkness that has swept in when you're so confused that I don't even know if I'm a boy or a girl, when we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God to be one or the other, and you still have to question that, we can't question whether or not Satan has taken over. He's already pushed his way in. The only question is, are we awake enough to see it? I ask you the question. I ask you the question, what should be? This is what should be. This is what God has said when he said quench not the spirit. He was saying, let me tell you what the spirit is. Let me tell you what my presence does. Let me tell you what that ruach, what that dunamis power, what the presence of God, the move of God, the fire of God, the conviction power, the leading of God, the illumination of the spirit of God should be in your life. But then we get to the second part. Quench not. It's an action on our part. Can, can, can I just, can we just be real and ask us the question, if we're not seeing revival, if we're not seeing conviction, if we're seeing confusion, if we're seeing the darkness push its way in, if, 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 if we're not seeing the life-giving power, if we're not seeing people being saved, could it be that it's not God that is backed off? It is not God that has relinquished his power. It's not God that has dropped the ball. But could it be that Christians have quenched the Spirit of God? It's there. But it's like that fire in that, in that campfire where you threw the water on it or you threw the wet blanket on it. We, we have smothered the working of the Spirit of God. And you say, how is that possible the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other that you cannot do the things that you would. There's a battle. There's a battle. If we would be real enough to say which side is winning. Because the Bible describes God over and over again through the Bible and we have... Almighty God. We have Jehovah. We have the Mighty Father, the Everlasting Father. We have the Prince of Peace. We have Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is Jesus. Those are all titles. Those are all descriptions in the Bible. But what lives in us? The Bible says, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. In Ephesians 4:30 it says grieve not the holy spirit of god whereby you are sealed. Why is it that when it comes to the active working agent of the aspect of god in your life, god said by the way, remind them constantly that i am holy. I am holy. I am above sin. I died to conquer sin. I came to regenerate them, to save them out of sin. I pulled them out of darkness. I breathe life into them. Sin is contrary to the working of the Spirit of God because the Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. If there is not holiness in our life or a pursuit of holiness or a desire of holiness, there cannot be the working of the Spirit of God in our churches or in our lives. We sit there and say, have we quenched the Spirit of God? I ask you the question, have we quenched the Spirit of God? Are we quenching the Spirit of God? If there's anger in our lives, or anything that we allow to consume us, if there is lust in our lives, we allow lust to consume our lives. If there is apathy in our generation, then I'll tell you all of those sins that we ignore and we've justified. And the Bible talks about all the things that he said, this is faith and righteousness. And the more we step away and we step into a generation, we step into a world today that is anti and contrary to those things, we become more and more in the darkness. Become further and further from the truth. We quench The working of the Spirit of God. And let me just say, when I say quench the working of the Spirit of God, we quench conviction. We sit there and say, I don't know why I can't get through to my kids. And God's saying, you have quenched it with your bad attitude and your filthy mouth. You've quenched it with the bitterness that you hold in your heart. You've quenched it because you have people in the church that you refuse to talk to. You, you've quenched it because of the fact is you have pornography on your cell phone. you've quenched it because of the fact is, you have division in your life. You've quenched it because of the fact is, you've written off people that you should be loving. We do it. But something about falling asleep, something about getting apathetic to the point where we slowly adapt to the world around us, where we hear the philosophy, well, if they did that to you, they deserve what they got. Or everybody does it, or that's just part of life, or it's just part of culture, it's just part of what we live in. You know what that is? Wake up! We are not children of the night. We are children of the day, and we have the righteousness of God that dwells in our hearts, that God wants to do our work in our lives. He says, "The beginning of that passage when we were in there." He said, "Let us not sleep." I, the, the first part of being revived. I don't. I, I think there's a lot that has to go into this, but I think it's just going in and shaking the Christians, saying, "Hey, we're losing our kids. Hey, there should be revival in the church. Hey, there should be life in marriages." It's just God shaking us. It's just God saying, Are you sick of not seeing the miraculous power of God? Are you sick of having services where people aren't falling on their knees and getting their hearts right with God? Are you sick of being pushed over by the devil? Are you sick of it? He says in James, He says, Draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you. And we we make it so complicated as for when it comes to revival or getting renewed of the Spirit of God. You know what he says? It's simple as this. He said, Draw nigh right here. Just take a step back to God. God, I'm sorry because I am mad and angry. God, I'm sorry because I do have lust in my heart. God, I'm sorry because I have written people off. I'm sorry. Could it it be that we are one step away or two steps away from experiencing God revive us in a way that could literally alter the generation that is desperately needing the light and the truth? I I I don't know what to do other than to preach. I I don't know what else to do other than say that God's shaking me. Because I want to see Him work. I just want to see him work. I don't want to be that dude that grew up in church my whole life, hearing about the powerful God that brings down fire from heaven and changes things that are impossible and it only be a story. I refuse for it just to be a story because he's promised us more. He's promised to give. We already have it. It's not a matter of trying to get more of God. It's it's just God begging us to stop quenching the Spirit of God.